Atlas, and uh, I'm Swedish, so come on. Anderson. You know, you know, in Minneapolis and in places like my home state, Washington and Spokane, there's more Jim Andersons than there are John Smiths. So that's really cool. You know, you start you start getting that Swedish, Norwegian, Scandinavian heritage, and uh, so I know I'm in that I'm I'm, I'm in that kind of country. So uh, for those of you who don't know me at all, I've been doing this kind of thing for 22 years. I started in the pro-life movement. I uh, had five kids, and God broke my heart for the unborn. I quit my job at the utility. Uh, it's been a wild ride. And uh, what God did is he, he uh, I was primarily just focused on the unborn, and God started to challenge me to set the issue of abortion in the context of a culture that worships sexuality. And so that was, he started hitting me on that. He said, don't put that thing into an ideological ghetto like, like the church does with everything. And we, we said, you know, these are the women that have abortions. These are the people that will help the women that have had abortions. And it really doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the women in our culture. Right? Except for all the negative messages about their identity and the sexualization of generations of women. They're all hearing the same thing. <laughs> and the same thing with sex slavery now. And I, I know it's an awesome cause. Sex slavery didn't start with this generation, though. But we're, I'm, I'm afraid we're going to put this into an ideological ghetto, too. And we're going to say, this is, these are the people that get trafficked. These are the people that are going to help restore, recover, rescue, recover, restore the ones that are being trafficked. And it really doesn't have much to do with the rest of the girls in our culture. Because we're not those kind of girls. Right? <laughs> so I've been telling people I know where sex slavery starts. It doesn't start in Eastern Europe and it doesn't start in Cambodia or Thailand and it's not the runaway foster daughter getting pimped out at the bus station. Sex slavery starts in the junior high hallway when we let a demonic message be loosed into our culture that tells a young woman that the most important part of who she is is her sexuality. And once that message gets rooted into the spirit of a generation, a little girl starts thinking herself, seeing herself as a sexual person, as a primary part of her identity, everything goes down from there. And that's, that's it. I mean, that's the... So we're trying to, we're desperately trying to keep this mainstreamed, is the discussion about what's happening in our culture, not just to the, the kind of ladies that have abortions, as if they're a certain kind of class, or the girls who are the sex slavery people. Because there's girls in the dorms, in the junior highs, in the high schools, in the sororities, in the restaurant work parties, that have psychological iron bars being set into their lives being battered by the culture until they adopt an identity and a value system and an understanding about who they are and what they have to do to get the love they know they want to have. And there's a whole bunch of young women in our culture that are doing stuff they don't want to do and they become someone they don't want to be to try to get the love they know they want to have. And let me just say this. Lots of talk about daughter's heart, daughter's heart, daughter's heart. Let me just tell you, when I say daughter's heart... I am training a generation of men to get a revelation of authentic manhood. And a lot of times I'll get talking about a daughter's heart and the guys will kind of be listening. They'll have their arms folded and they're kind of saying, when are you going to get to the man part? 
uh, are you going to get to the man part sometime? And I go, I'm in the middle of the man part. Because the pathway to authentic manhood is a revelation of a daughter's heart and a revelation of the war against what's in a daughter heart, daughter's heart from hell. And if we can get this, it'll change our manhood overnight. It'll change everything about how you think, how you operate, and your values, and your battle for purity, and the whole thing. It's an amazing thing. And Jesus, here's the scripture for it. Okay, Jesus was the most authentic man on the face of the earth. And he had a revelation of a daughter's heart. He laid his life down and suffered for a girl called the church. So meditate on that. That means every man, every brother, every son should have a revelation of the real living brides that are among us. The potential and actual brides who need us to take our place just like Christ and suffer and lay our life down and create atmospheres of safety for our daughters, wives, mothers, and sisters and find our our destiny as we do that. I mean, the only... You look at the cultures of the earth. You look at the cultures of the earth and the women in those cultures and how they carry themselves and how they walk and how they value their own purity. It's a reflection of the men in the culture, what they have allowed, the kind of messages and the indulgences that they have the appetites they've indulged in, the, it's a reflection of the men in the culture. And as we get more and more, as we get a revelation of a daughter's heart, I believe it's, it's going to change things. So let me mention some materials because that's, we're going to talk, we're not going to talk so much about what I was talking about there. But uh, I'm into materials because I'm into revelation and revelation changes people's thinking. And so... I mean, I'll give CDs to daughters who are broken. I'll say, listen to this 20 times, okay, till you know exactly what I'm going to say next on it, till it becomes your message. And I think the sexual message, and I think there ought to be a 1,000 people like me with a 1,000 different books, so everybody from 13 to 30 can be always reading something and thinking about this from God's point of view. There's way too much information that's coming from the world and way too little from the church. Uh but I, I believe in Revelation, and it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, right? So that's the the process of it. But we need, I, how many have come to the altar, and God's taken your pain out of your heart from relationships or something that happened to you when you were little, you know, and whatever it is, and you come to the altar and God presence and we felt the presence of God tonight in the worship and the Lord starts pulling pain out of your spirit during the the that divine moment. But how many know if you don't change how you think about the thing if, if God doesn't change how you think about the things that have caused you pain, then the pain machine downloads a new batch of the very stuff that you just got pulled out of your heart. And you're back right at the altar for the same reason. And we start cycling, you know. You, and I'm not, and I'm saying be a spiritual hog. Come to the altar a thousand times. I mean, come a million times if you need to. I'm not saying that so you won't come and respond to God's presence. But I'm, I'm jealous for a generation to have revelation yeah. and the divine moment so they can have permanent change. That's, that's what we're after. And revelation, we got to have revelation because if we don't, if we just have prohibition and, and, and there's a lot of prohibition in sexuality and god's in the prohibition he he puts a boundary around his beautiful gift of sexuality 
And he says, don't do this and don't commit adultery and don't covet your neighbor's wife. And he, he's got some don'ts. But prohibition without revelation leads to obligation. And I don't, who wants to live that kind of lifestyle in the kingdom of God? Now, there'll be days we got to do that, you know, just. But I think God wants to create some sort of momentum in our, in a generation's life where we have a spirit of revelation that we're operating out of that propels us upward out of delight instead of a lot of prohibition with no revelation that creates a lifestyle of obligation where we're drudge, kind of drudging out our, especially our, in the area of sexuality, especially in that area. I mean, if, you, if, if God can start giving you revelation, and it's, it's, it gets really exciting. It really does. So that's why I mentioned materials. Here's the other thing I say, and you can do this with Becca or me. I mean, if you're flat broke and you can say to God, I'm absolutely broke and I'm a good steward of my money and I've had a long season of no money, and you see something on the table you feel like you need to have because of where you're at, then we want to get it to you. But on the other side of it, if you've got money, spend money on your soul and get a revelation. That's all I'm going to say. Does that make sense? But we just, it's not about making money. It's about helping a generation get a revelation because it's going to change your life. Let me just mention a couple of things we've got at the table. This thing about Esther, the source of true beauty. Esther won the beauty contest. The, the age-old question is, did she, did, did she have to become sexual like all the girls in the harem to get positioned to do God's will? That's the real question. And the source of true beauty is what Esther had. She had a beauty from heaven that changed history. And God wants to put a beauty in, from heaven on every daughter and on the church both so they can change history for God. So that's, that's that one. Uh, this one, Authentic Manhood, this talks about the war against women and what's going on. Again, it's if we don't have a clue about what's going on with women and how they feel and understanding the cultural pressure that they're under as men, then we're never going to be able to rise to the place of protection. We won't be able to. We will not be able to begin to address the issue and, and work to change atmospheres so they can be safe, protected, honored, valued, communicated with. And we're back to Jesus laying his life down for a girl called the church, and every man needs to be walking in that ident that that pattern son. Walking as the pattern son after Jesus, husbands love your wives as Christ, and gave himself. So if he's giving himself to his wife, you can bet he's God's expecting him to give himself for his daughters. <laughs> you can expect he's expecting that that husband who's loving his wife, that his son is watching him love his wife. So he's training his son at the same time. That whole that whole beautiful pattern's happening. Three men and three destinies about sexual temptation. Samson, who never got out of the starting gate, David who started and then had a bad day, a really bad day. And then Joseph, who could have excused any sexual sin by the suffering he'd been through, said, I, how can I sin against God and commit this great evil? So you pick on which one you want to be like. It's got some lessons for us to avoid and some people to aspire to be like in this. Uh, identity theft is what, God, what the enemy is doing on a, on a generation. And you, you think about identity theft, and as they say it takes 300 hours to get your identity back. It's a nightmare. You know, credit cards, social security numbers, you name it, checking account, bank accounts. Ah. But the real question is when the devil has worked a ripoff on the identity of a generation, the real question is how many, how many hours is it going to take to give a, get her a daughter her dreams back? 
How, how long is it going to take to get a daughter, the, the, the daughters of a generation's dreams back when they've been lied to by darkness and adopted a, a, a demonic identity of, of a sexualized personality? We got to fight. We got to say we're going to do whatever we can to restore our original design. How many? How long is it going to take for a young man to get his self-respect back? And that's the that's the challenge. That's the question we got to ask. And God's God's in, God's, He loves restoration. I'm not saying this stuff to make you feel bad. I'm saying this stuff to get you hungry to be restored. Hungry to be restored, and we we can never discover the awesome identity of being a son or a daughter if we have shame from sexual sin that turns us into a slave trying to make up for what we've done. Think about the dynamic of that. And you know, the psychology of a daughter's heart is, well, God will forgive me for this, 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 and this, but for these things I never even told anybody about. I don't know if he could really forgive me for that. Isn't that a, isn't that a daughter's heart? I teach in discipleship schools. We have prayer times. They write some things down. They confess. They open their heart. And I often ask, how many are writing something down or confessing something you never told another human being about on the face of the earth? And half the hands go up in Christian discipleship schools. Half the hands go up. That means they're packing stuff is pressed way down and that means there's a whole bunch of energy being utilized in sons and daughters that should be utilized not to create walls of protection and manage their shame but that energy is supposed to be loosed into your treasure so you can loose your treasure of who God's made you to be into a broken world and I, want, I am longing to see a generation have the shame taken off them and have them be raised up and have them stand on the edge of their generation where they can raise their hand and look at people they love and say, I know the way out of hell. Rather than trying to create a package of kind of a, a nice package. Look at me. I didn't really have that much struggle. <laughs> so I really believe God wants to do something. He wants to do something amazing. You get a shameless generation. It is dangerous to the devil, I'm telling you. It is, it is like, and uh, I just believe God wants to do that. New vision for motherhood and homemaking. A part of the war against a daughter's identity is the, the demonic hatred, demonic hatred and assault. My wife did this. I didn't do this one, okay. <laughs> demonic hatred and assault against part of the design, uh, original design and function and identity of daughters. And I've got da young ladies in discipleship schools who are through tears trying to get the courage to say, I want to be a mom because there's so much demonic hatred and oppression against even someone saying that. And I believe God wants to resurrect that and, and restore that and recreate something. And this, the book called Unmasked, um, you should just get it for the cover, you know. We're, we're going to make some, we're going to get some posters. It's this picture. I don't know if you've seen it. Have you guys seen it? Yeah. This picture is so anointed. The gals, the pastor's 
daughter in Canada did it. We were going up to Canada to do a seminar, and her dad said, Sarah, why don't you do something that kind of describes what Jim talks about? And she started working on this, and then it, it came out. She sent it to me through the email. I just went crazy. I went crazy because I feel like I don't have to show it. When I take this anywhere, uh, any nation, any place I go, I take this and I show it to young men and young women, and especially the young women. They don't need any explanation what this is about. They look at it and they say, where did you get that? It's my life. This is my life. Or where did you get this? These are my friends. This is my school. These are my old classmates, my current classmates, or, or this is my generation. Well, that's, that's unmasked. It's about time we start talking about reality. <laughs> I mean, if the devil has put the crosshairs on a generation in terms of their sexuality, anybody feel any pressure on their sexual purity in this room? I mean, really. I mean, like every hand should be up both this is both up, everybody. Come on, they just get them both up. You know. And then, why do we spend more time talking about how to drive a car with a young generation than getting a revelation for who they are as sons and daughters, and female and male Christian believers, and what how it all works together, and what's appropriate? And it's like rare. It's like once a year, if you even do that, kind of like wow, this is really radical. Once a year, we're going to have some stuff on sex. It ought to be a constant diet really, to, to be an antidote from the demonic, the, the, the slime coming out of the sewer pipe that's perched over your generation from hell. It's a miracle that any couples can even get to the altar in purity and even have a proper understanding of what they're doing when they say, I want to form a permanent relationship. And the stats aren't very good, even for Christians. And I don't believe in all the Barna stuff. I believe there's a lot of churches that are teaching stuff and helping people. Because there's a lot of people that are divorced. And they, in the middle of their divorce, they come into the church. So when they say, are you divorced? You say, yeah. And it goes on the church stat for divorce. So I don't believe it's as bad as the culture. But I believe God wants to change things for us and uh, do some exciting things. So thanks for putting up with my little mini seminar on materials. But I wanted, to, I wanted to read a scripture to you because I want to talk about relationships. Becca said, you've got to talk about relationships tonight. Okay. Talk about <laughs> I don't know why. I wasn't going to do something else. But, uh, so I'm going to talk about, I'm going to start with a relationship scripture. I'm going to tell some stories on myself. And we're going to, I'll go kind of long as I can until uh, we get tired and then I'm going to just quit. So this is a relationship scripture. This is a, one of the weirdest scriptures in the Bible, but it is a relationship scripture. And so I love preaching out of the Old Testament when it's really weird scriptures. So you'll really like this one. And this is a scripture where God is talking. Now, you understand Israel, right? You guys understand Israel? Israel did everything different. They fought their wars different. They ate their food different. They did their families different, especially when you consider the kind of nations that were around them. I mean, the contrast between the kind of nations that were around them and what God had asked Israel to do were, was unbelievable. I mean, if, if you understand anything about the nations that were around Israel and the promised land, the ites, when Israel went into the promised land, the Canaanites, everybody with me? You guys educated here? 
Okay, I just want to make you guys are educated. Just that's cool. If you don't do that, that, if you don't know that stuff, that's okay. I'm not trying to. I'm just saying that. But when Israel went into the Promised Land, there God was bringing, using them to be an instrument of judgment on a nation, and that nation of the Canaanites was doing stuff in the worship of their false demonic gods that was so abhorrent to God, he didn't, it didn't even enter his mind, it says. They were doing stuff so abhorrent. And it, it completely was diametrically opposed to everything God wanted in his heart for humanity. So God was, God, there was such a contrast. I mean, they were literally, you know, you understand that. They were literally, they were sacrificing their children to the false gods. I mean, think about it. Like, how do you even conceive of that? No wonder God was going to bring a judgment on them. Yeah, well, yeah, it's modern day. Same spirit. Exactly the same spirit today. It's, nothing's changed. The names have been changed, but nothing's changed. Which is encouraging for us because you think, oh, golly, it's never been like this before. Lord, what do we do? There's so many belly buttons. The girls are showing their belly buttons so much. There's so many belly buttons everywhere. What are we going to do? It's never been like this before. So much sexuality with the young people. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Martha, what are we going to do? Oh. And the reality is it's always been like this. There's always been a false demonic God system that was worshipped with sexual immorality, worshipped with a form of temple prostitution, an organized invitation to sexual experience and child sacrifice. And that should give us encouragement to think that the, the saints in the Old Testament faced those kind of spirits and were able to walk and rise up in victory and the saints in the New Testament with that d- demonic goddess Diana, Artemis, in the, in where Paul birthed the church in the sex-saturated Greek and Roman world. I mean, they had days dedicated to the male sexual organ. Carvings on doors with the same representation. Frescoes in the bathhouses where you could have 13 kinds of sex. That was, the, that was where the church was birthed into. So it's not like it's never been like this before, Martha, and there's so many belly buttons. It's, Lord, you have always, there's always been a demonic false God system that the church has had to face. And you've enabled them to rise up in victory. Hezekiah and Josiah in the Old Testament, Paul in the New Testament saints. And I believe today that, that, that it's, it's, it's the same spirit with the same ways it's worshipped. And the same grace that God's going to release in Revelation so we can walk in purity. That's why Paul talked to Timothy. He said, look at Timothy. You're a young leader. This is a sex-saturated Greek and Roman world. You're called to represent the kingdom of God. So I'm going to mark you. I want you to be marked in five different ways. How is he supposed to be marked? In speech. In conduct. First Timothy 4.12, right? How are you supposed to be marked? Be marked. I want you to be marked. I want you to... I want your life to be so distinct compared to everyone else. You're supposed to be marked in speech, in conduct, in faith, in love, and purity. Be an example of those who believe. That's 20%. If that's a blueprint for the church today, then 10 sermons out of every 50 every year ought to be focused on some aspect of sexuality, really in-your-face relationships, I mean, really helping people get, get it so they can have a family that's going to last. That's our goal. And we have done a disservice to a generation if we give them an spiritual experience at the altar with everything from healing or worship or missions or whatever it is, justice. If we give a, a young generation an experience without giving them the hope they can have a marriage and raise families for, to, to glorify God. I think, what are we doing? Where have we, what's up? <laughs> 
And, you know, you got young people excited about signs and wonders. I love, I, I think we need to be excited about the supernatural. If we don't have a supernatural, you're going to go to the secondary realities. You're going to go to alcohol and drugs and sex and extreme experiences and materialism and travel. And you're going to give yourself to something else, right? Not counterfeits. So they're all very real. Sex is really real. Drugs is really real. Alcohol is really real. Materialism is really real. Extreme experiences is really real. But if we don't give the supernatural to a generation, they're going to go to the secondary realities. So we've got to give them the supernatural, but we don't want to just give them the supernatural and not give them the hope to have a marriage. you got young people coming home saying, look, i got gold dust on my hands. Look, i got oil on my hands. Look, wow, I mean, I laid hands on somebody. Wow, it was so cool. That's exciting. But part of me as a dad wants to say, okay, did you take the garbage out with those same hands for your mom? That's the... So you got the prophetic urgency of a generation, the now of God, the excitement, right? The prophetic urgency, we better marry that to, to, to the strategic longevity of the kingdom of God. So we better, we better be taking the garbage out with the same hands we're excited about laying hands on somebody with. And somebody's in a meeting, they say, I see an angel, I see an angel, I'm excited, I see an angel, wow. Oh, man, I just saw it. I go, That's great. My son sees angels, I don't. So what can you say? But when somebody comes and says that, I, I want to say, as a dad, in the spirit, I want to say, I'm excited you saw an angel. But the other question I want to ask you, are you being an angel with the opposite sex? Because I've had way too much seeing angels and not being angels with the opposite sex. For my liking. God wants power and purity in this generation. It's going, to ha- it's going to have to be marked that way. You know why? Because the culture is worshiping a sex god, and they will not listen to a church that's worshiping the same god that they are. Did you hear what I just said? We have nothing to say to them. We're worshiping at the same altar as they are and speaking words that don't match our life. When we start speaking the words that match our life and we're walking in power and purity, we're going to be able to invite people out of hell into restoration. And there are some broken, broken ones waiting. I, I believe that the pain is getting so palpable that people are longing to be healed. Longing. Just the amount of antidepressant medication and the, 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 the surveys, especially among young women. One survey I read said that the the average daughter today in our culture has a level of anxiety that matches the level of anxiety that allowed people to commit a daughter to inpatient psychiatric care in the 1960s. In other words, what put put a daughter into inpatient psychiatric care in the 1960s, that level of anxiety is what's average in women today. That's how much... Stuff's going on. Not that, along with the burning and the cutting on the thigh and the binge alcoholism and back to straight A's during the rest of the week and the kind of those kind of behaviors. It's saying there's poison inside. There's poison inside some dear daughters and they don't know what to do about it. They don't know how to get it out of their system. They're, they're like, ah. And lots of talk about daughters, guys. Every time I say daughter, Scoot up on your seat because I'm trying to train you how to be the best husband and father to future daughters. We've got to get this. We have to get that. We've, we've got to get 
begin to think and understand what the war has been loosed against your sisters in this room. It is, it is foul. It is unbelievable. And once we get that, we're going to be able to take our position with fathers and the sons and create, I believe, by God's help, create families, atmospheres and families in our churches and then ex- export that into the community or at the very least be a great invitation to the broken community to come on into the house of light, come on into the house of healing, come on into the house of hope. So long rabbit trail, Israel. Remember where I was. We were talking about Israel going into the promised land, right? And they were doing stuff so abhorrent to God, he just he couldn't, it never entered his mind. So Israel, the point is, Israel did everything different. And they even fought their wars different, and they even took captives different. I mean, you didn't want to get taken captive by the Assyrians or the Babylonians. One of the scriptures says they cut open the bellies of the pregnant women for sport. That's what they did. I thought, well, if they did that to the pregnant women, I wonder what they did to the virgin daughters when they captured them. We know what they did to the guys. I mean, they lost their manhood and they were exported up to be eunuchs up in the... So it was it was pretty radical. I mean, it was... And the Lord's mandate to Israel is to operate completely differently. And they did. So here's, here's, his, here's his relationship scripture to the Hebrew soldier boys who are hot and bothered fighting the battle and all of a sudden they see a beautiful woman and they think they want to have a relationship with her. So this is God's protocol. This is God's protocol on how to start a relationship and the elements of the relationship, how you're supposed to start it, how it's supposed to unfold, kind of the elements, and we're going to see if it makes any sense for us. I figure if this is a relationship scripture, we ought to start here. God had some good ideas for Israel. Hey, if it's good enough for Israel, what do you think? Good enough for us? Let's give it a try. Let's see. When you go out to battle against your enemies, this is Deuteronomy 21.10. When you go out to battle against your enemies and the Lord God delivers them into your hands and you take them away captive and see among the captives a beautiful woman. We can stop there for a minute now. I always ask the guys, now is this sin? It isn't? They're seeing a beautiful woman. (laughs) Then I always say, like in the schools, I say, well, you guys would be sinning every day because you're in classroom. With all these beautiful sisters. So I guess we're okay on that. We'll just go back and say, okay, you're right, bro. You're right. Oh, let's go to the next one. Uh-oh. Oh, now it's getting, now it's, it's, it's heating up now, this next part. See among the captives a beautiful woman and have a desire for her. And have, and have a desire for her. A desire. It's. He's having a desire for her. Now that's probably got to be sin. Oh, man, this guy's doing this Bible study. I don't know. I was thinking maybe that desire. But look at this. It's connected to something else. See, look at this. The desire for her is connected and would take her as a wife for yourself part. See how that works together? The desire for her is connected to take her as a wife for yourself part. They're kind of connected together there. That's how it works. Because you don't want to be having too much desire for anybody unless you're planning on taking her for a wife for yourself. The desire, desire for her, and the take her as a wife part go together. It's like a little team, little little pet pair. Well, let's keep moving then. We got so, so far no sin. And we've got all the elements for a relationship, I think. We've got attraction. 
We've got desire and the and the and the 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 movement of toward taking her as a wife. Desire to have a relationship permanent. There's attraction and desire, all that kind of mixed together. That's kind of the basic elements of a relationship where it would start. Attraction, desire, with the hopes that it could be something permanent. Anybody with me on that now? Anybody? I won't ask for a show of hands if anybody's involved in anything like that right now. Okay. Now, once we've established the basic necessities for the beginning of a relationship based on those elements, and we don't have any sin. Isn't that right, bro? Okay, we got it. Then he, God gives specific instructions for where we're going now. Here's where we go. Here's, here's what he says. Then you shall bring her home to your house and she shall shave her head and trim her nails and she'll remove the clothes of her captivity and remain in your house. Okay. The first thing, first thing you do is you, we got to bring her to the house. Get her, get, get the fam involved. We're getting the fam. So we're getting the fam involved. Get her home to your house and so we're getting the fam involved. This is, you know, these are God's instructions. The Hebrew soldier boy is bringing her home to meet the fam, and the fam is going to be involved. So it's not just two people going off into the sunset together to find each other. Did you notice that? The isolation, the exclusiveness, the, it's not there. It's immediately bring her into the fam. The fam. So dad's going to be checking her out. Mom is going to be talking to her brothers and sisters. The you know the the beautiful uh, radar of the sisters is going to be going like I just kind of I don't know I just sense something about her I mean you know how the girls are yeah you got you run it by the sisters you run you run that girl by the sisters they're going to be telling you what they think about her if you're a brother in a community and you're going to import some princess that you think God's talked to you about. And all your sisters who you've walked with for a number of years don't think their radar is going to go up being and have, they're going to have a few things they might want to share with you. Probably. Right? Okay. All right. So bring her to the fam and she shall shave her head. Now, this is a really important part. She's shaving her own head. Now, this is the eyebrows too. I'm pretty sure shaving her head means her head and then her eyebrows. So we're, we're taking all the hair off her skull. This is a very important part of relationship building. It's right in the Bible. I'm not lying to you. God wrote this down. You're going to the fam. You're shaving your head. Those seductive little fingernails, they're going right now. Chop them right off. Chop them right off. Chop them off right now. Shaved head, including eyebrows. Chop the seductive fingernails off. See, next thing is the modesty upgrade. Remove the clothes of her captivity. So we got a Hebrew modesty upgrade into the burlap bag. Modesty upgrade. That's my interpretation of it. Maybe I'm taking too much license here. We have a modesty. So we got, we got, we're with a fam. We got the shaved head. Trim those seductive fingernails off. Modesty upgrade. And then it, it gives us a little insight that this period of time for her is the worst time in her life. Because she's going to mourn for her mom and dad for a month. She either saw her mom and dad killed or there's a sense she'll never see them again. So this is probably the hardest time of her life. And then in so many words it says, then after that month, do you still think 
everything's cool, then you go ahead and in the process of the, of, of the East, you go into her and consummate the marriage and you have her for a wife. So that's relationship right there. We did it. It's all done. So I've got a box of clippers here. <laughs> we can shave all the girls' heads tonight. We can get you guys, we can get you guys billiard balled up. Can you imagine? I'm, I'm thinking. It's only the ones that the guys have desires. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, only if only if you're one of the daughters. That's right. Only if you have someone that has a desire for you do you have to shave your head. Okay. Now this is the relationship scripture. I know. Stay with me now. This is the relationship scripture. Now I always kind of wonder how it would be, like she's got her head shaved and you're with the fam. But I wonder about two weeks into it when she's got the nubs. And he goes, I love rubbing my finger through your hair, babe. You ever do that with a guy when he's got that high and tight, you know? You kind of go like that. It's just that feeling of that high and tight haircut, you know? But with the daughters, can you imagine the girls having a high and tight? And after two weeks, you go, I love rubbing my my fingers through your hair, babe. Okay. All right, what's the point here? This is, this is God in the Bible telling people how the Hebrew soldier boys, probably hot and bothered, hot and bothered Hebrew soldier boys seeing a babe on the battlefield saying, she's for me. I know it. And God says, cool. I got protocol for you. Just plug it into the protocol and everything will be cool. Shaved head, including eyebrows. Seductive fingernails gone. Modesty upgrade. Spent a month with a fam during the hardest time of her life. This is relationship scripture. This is, he said, if you want to have a relationship, this is what you do. So what's the point? This is the coolest scripture in the Bible. One of the coolest scriptures in the Bible. Because God thinks differently than we do. You think God might be whispering in the ear of the Hebrew nation? I don't want any relationships to ever start. I don't want the foundation of any relationship to start in the passion of the moment. I don't want any glandular relationships. I don't want any hormonal relationships. I don't want any relationships based on Mr. Darcy walking through the mist with his shirt unbuttoned. I'm coming to save you from your sad, lonely, single life. Here I come through the mist. (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Darcy. I'm so glad you, I'm so glad you're here for me. I mean, we are so, we are so addicted to romanticism and sentimentality and emotionalism in the church. And that's even without any sexual sin. That's just emotional promiscuity and relationship idolatry and, and the being a half person waiting for my other half. God's math is a whole person, the two, that means one whole person. Plus, one whole person. 
shall become one. The two shall become one. So God's math is one whole person plus one whole person equals one whole person. Isn't that cool? We love God's math. It's a lot different than ours because we think one half person. I really am looking for my other half, you know. I've got to find my other half somehow. Mr. Darcy, are you my other half coming through the mist with your shirt unbuttoned? Are you really going to save me from my sad, lonely, single life, Mr. Darcy? We need a generation that wants to become a whole. They want to have a whole, they want to have a whole experience. They want to have a whole relationship. They want to, the idolatry of relationship has to go in the church. Besides the sexuality. We've got hormonal relationships. We've got glandular relationships. As soon as the hormones kick in, the glands kick in, the brains go off the shelf, and it's all roads, all roads lead to the make-out session, and much worse in some cases. In the church, I'm not talking about, we know the culture is about. I mean, this is God saying, I don't want any daughter on the face of the earth to ever even wonder why some man wanted her. That's pretty heavy. That's pretty strong. This is God protecting his daughters. This is God saying, I'm, I want my daughters protected. I don't want any relationship based on sexuality, hormones, glands. I want that daughter to be loved for who she is as a person because that's how I designed her. I designed her to be loved for who she is as a person. It's not an anti-sexuality marriage. It's a sexuality in the context God made sexuality for message. I'm the sex preacher. I got eight kids. <laughs> Connect the dots. Do the math. If, if sex is like frosting, I'm a frosting guy. But I baked cake. I got cake. We do cake first, then we do frosting. Are you hearing me? Yes. This is the recipe for cake here. <laughs> this is how you get cake. You don't do frosting first. Anybody, when you were little, eat a bowl of frosting. You don't even like frosting anymore, right? We used to take the brownie boxes at the lake in northern Idaho, and mom and dad would go off to the cotton club to dance and drink, and me and the boys would grab the three boxes of brownies, make three full recipes, all the brownies, and we'd cook them and then grab them and wad them on the little brownie balls and cram them down our throats before mom and dad got home. All three boxes, four boys, three boxes of brownies. Just gal gorging our... We don't like brownies that much anymore. That's what happens to a generation that's got sex and not intimacy. That's what's happened to a generation. Intimacy is about purity and soul spirit oneness and soul friendship oneness and physical oneness, the three elements of intimacy. Most young people today in the church and out that are involved in any kind of sexuality outside God's covenant of marriage have never experienced sexuality as God designed it at all. There's no, no shred of intimacy at all. All it is is sex. One part of the three parts. It leaves them empty. It leaves them broken. It leaves them wondering what's up. And the culture is so goofed up. Were you, uh, were you intimate with him? Was that intimacy? Were, were you intimate with him? Was that intimacy? Huh? No, we just had sex. Oh, thanks. I just wanted to know. I mean, you can't have intimacy outside of God's context of the place where intimacy was designed to take place. It is just sex. 
That's why there's scars, there's question marks, there's wounds, there's doubt, there's pain, there's fear, there's regrets, there's disease, there's death. Again, it's not sex is bad. We tried to train the generation with prohibition without revelation. No wonder we got problems. Remember, prohibition without revelation leads to obligation. It's where we end up. I love this scripture because it's God saying, I, I, it's like the rich widow. The rich widow doesn't know why anybody likes it, right? Can you imagine the psychology of the rich widow? And everybody's coming over to her house and saying, well, Mrs. Jones, can I help shovel your walks? And they're looking at her with dollar signs in her eyes. And that dear lady doesn't know why anybody likes her. Every woman on the face of the earth is like that because of her sexuality. And guys are kind of hovering around. And they're kind of... And the daughter, what's the daughter? It's like... That's why God says purity before absolute purity. Because then the daughter knows why. I mean, my son, my uh, son-in-law is crazy. Um, My son-in-law was a bandmate to my son. My son's in a band. And right before Christmas, he he had this great idea. They were, they were driving from North Carolina down to Nashville about the day before Christmas on a borrowed car with no snow tires. And then Lee, who was the bandmate who had met my son's sisters, thought it would really be a good idea for Luke to go and surprise his family. Isn't that nice of Lee? Lee is the friend of... He, Lee thought it would really be good for Luke to, to kind of bless his mom's heart by just driving... 3,000 miles across the country and no, in, in, for 38 straight hours with no sleep in a car with no snow tires to show up Christmas Eve on our door. Just I, I'm sure Lee was thinking, this is really what would be great for, for Luke's mom to see his face. Well, Lee had kind of noticed one of Luke's sisters. Yeah, that's why Lee was encouraging the trip. Isn't that nice of Lee? <laughs> Lee was, had noticed his sister. So Lee was encur- strongly encouraging Luke to drive from Nashville to Spokane, Washington. 30, 38 straight hours. To be there for 24 hours so they could turn around and drive 43 hours back. Wow. That's interest. I think he noticed a beautiful woman in the sister of uh, who is now his wife. So the story turned out pretty good. It worked, but uh, but we just seen Lee's face when I told Lee during their courtship. I said, Lee, you don't get to give her flowers, and you don't get to buy her candy, and I don't want you talking about your future with her at all. Because I don't want you pushing her buttons and having her fall in love with love. I want her to fall in love with you. Because you could work all the stuff, but I want her to fall in love with you. And he didn't like that. He didn't like that at all. I go, trust me, Lee. You just trust me on this one, okay? If she falls in love with you because of who you are, 
Not because you push all the little buttons. There's going to be plenty of romance, plenty of fireworks, plenty of flowers, plenty of candy, plenty of everything. I promise. <laughs> and there was, and at the wedding, we're talking about a daughter's heart, right? And how she needs to be loved for who she is as a person, not what she can give a man sexually, right? That's what we're talking about. That's the original design of a daughter's heart. That's one of the original design statements about a daughter's heart. Daughter, you were designed to be loved for who you are as a person, not what you can give a man sexually. So at the wedding, I looked at Lee and I said, Lee, because I was, re- I, was, I was reflecting on how he courted her and how he treated her during the courtship and the engagement the whole time. And I just said, Lee, all I had to do is look at the face of my daughter to see whether or not you had done what I had asked you to do and you were doing what God had asked you to do. Because on her face, all I saw was safety and security. Complete absence of shame. No doubt, no hesitation. No signs of depression or shame from violating anything in terms of sexual purity. Just a growing sense of being honored, protected, loved, cherished, valued, communicated with, The sense that she understood Lee was suffering and willing to suffer, to wait, to honor her, to protect her. It's a look you can't replace. It's a look that God ordained to be in every wedding as a testimony to the world that was going to be worshiping a sex God through the ages. Have you been to weddings where it's pregnant with sexuality, but it's sexuality that hasn't hasn't been experienced yet? But it's beautiful. there's purity in the midst of it. And you see her face. And you see the man who has suffered and waited. I mean, you can't buy that anywhere. I wish you could buy that at a Bible bookstore. You can't get That's not for sale. That's something that you have to achieve. That's something God wants to birth in a generation. He wants to restore it. He wants, he wants weddings to be the kind of thing where people are going to be so confronted with purity that they're going to find excuses not to go. Because it's going to be so strong. It's going to be like a mirror. Not to condemn them, but to call them and remind them that what they've experienced is not what God planned for them. And to give them hope. Hope in God. Hope in restoration. Hope in purity. Think about God putting this scripture together. So what's the shaved head? The shaved head is, is a voluntary choice in a daughter to diminish her external power to attract. Chew on that one for a minute. That's not a daughter saying, well, let me do the kind of the Christian version of the belly button. I'm not going to be like way out there like all the girls. I'm just going to have it just sort of, I mean, just sort of the Christian appropriate level. Because I need to help God a little bit with my future. Come on. I tell the youth pastor, they go, You're never going to win the battle of the belly button. You aren't going to win that one. You better preach the revelation of God's heart and the revelation of God's original design and the whole picture. If you do the battle, you you, you get in a cat fight with your girls in your youth group over the battle of the belly button, you're not going to win that one. Because that's the only place they get attention. That's their their last best chance to get the love they think they want to have and they're going to use that vehicle to get it. 
And they're going to try to help God with their future, and it's not going to work. I just honor the daughters that buy the shirts that tuck into their pants. So on the short shirts that are the fashion that they're wearing, when they bend over, they have their T-shirt that they bought to wear underneath it and be hot in the hot days because they honor their brothers and they honor God and they honor their future. And every time they wear that T-shirt, they're saying, God, I'm trusting you with my future. I don't need to help you with my future. I don't need to do anything, God. That's war against hell. That's a raging warfare against the demonic spirits of darkness that are trying to destroy a generation just by doing that in your own spirit. Every day a daughter gets up and says, God, here's my, here's my power to attract. Here's my sexual beauty that you've given me and every other daughter in the kingdom of God. And I make a holy offering to it, to you of this. And I will never use my, my sexuality inappropriately. It's a holy offering back to you, God. That's what the shave did. It says she shaved her head. They didn't tie her down and got the clippers out and say, okay, honey, say goodbye. Because it doesn't work that way. You can, put a, you can build a fence around a couple. You can build a fence around a generation. You can build a fence around a daughter or a son. You can try to disciple them. Guess what? They're going to jump over the fence. How many fences have you built around young people or couples? They just jump over the fence. You build it, they jump over it. And, and, and we've reached a, a, a time, I believe, where God's asking some young people to cooperate with God and some mentors in their life and the Holy Spirit to build some fences around their lives, Amen. knowing themselves, saying, this is a weak area for me. Put two fence posts right there. I don't want to blow this relationship. I've blown a whole bunch of them. I don't want to blow any more of them. Put two fence posts right there, God. I'm right with you. I'll help dig them. You know what I'm talking about? Is this making sense? Two fence posts right there. Your parents might have another one. Your pastor might have another one. Holy Spirit might whisper another one. And you create this beautiful boundary around this part of your life called your sexuality. And you stay inside there. It's the safest, most lovely place you can be. In the Holy Spirit. We got a choice to make. It's never about sex. It's never about purity. It's never about sex. We always have to make a choice. It's either God is a cosmic killjoy that loves to withhold good things from people, or He's a loving Father that has put a beautiful boundary around His gift of sexuality because He knows us better than we know ourselves and He doesn't want us to be destroyed. It is never about sex. The real question is can I trust God with my future? That's really the question. That's really the question we're wrestling with. That's the whole ball of wax tonight. And when God says, you shave your head, you trim your nails, you do the modesty upgrade, that daughter is voluntarily diminishing her external power to attract. She's de-emphasizing her power to attract and emphasizing her internal qualities because she wants to contribute to her own future happiness. When a daughter de-emphasizes her external power to attract her sexual life, I'm not talking about not being lovely. I want every daughter to be beautiful and attractive. I'm talking about the spirit of sensuality and seduction. And identity, sexuality is primary identity. When a daughter voluntarily chooses to de-emphasize her external power to attract, she is contributing to her own future happiness. Because when she does that, 
She is guaranteed that the men that will be primarily attracted to her are going to be attracted to her for who she is as a person. The daughter that emphasizes her external qualities of sexuality and attraction is, is, is contributing to her own future unhappiness. Because by doing that, she'll be attracting young men who are primarily interested in that part of her. And that's not her dream. Her dream, remember, remember her original design, design dream? Her original design dream is, I was designed by God to be loved for who I am as a person, not what I can give some man sexually. See how that works? So let me tell you about myself a little bit. Let me tell you about the butterfly boy. Here's the problem. I call them butterfly boys. I was one, so I am qualified to talk about. The butterfly boy is the young Christian leader guy who's 22 or 25, and he's single, and he's telling God every day, I'm willing, I'll just stay single the rest of my life, I guess, Lord, whatever, whatever. I'll just, I'm just going to stay single. You know, I'm, I, I don't know if I'm called, and he's talking to people about whether he's called to be single or not, and he's going through that. You know, he's just, it's just and he's, he's fighting the battle, and he's going to be brothers of the, Brothers of the Kingdom Unite. <laughs> and that was me. I was single. I was 25 and uh, committed. I was in a ministry. I was, you know, I was doing all the stuff. I wasn't checking the girls out, you know, in the ministry. I was really careful. But every once in a while, I would just, uh, I, would get, I would get hit. I would get, I would get hit with what I call the Sunday night blues or the Friday night blues. The loneliness. I'd see everybody out on their dates or with their, you know, other person. And then I'd get hit and I'd go, oh man, the Sunday night blues, Friday night blues. And I would kind of turn into the, the butterfly boy. I kind of just, I find when you get hit like that, then any Christian sister in a skirt will do. You just got to get with them. Go play tennis. I'm, I remember I was going to go play tennis with somebody. You know, just really any Christian sister in a skirt will do. I'm just lonely. See, I'm initiating relationship out of loneliness. I'm not, initi- I'm not initiating relationship out of an excitement for who this person is. And, it's, and, and I had this pattern in my life. And my mentor, my boss, saw this. He said, Jim, his name was Bob. He goes, Jim, I noticed you're kind of like a butterfly boy. You kind of just land on a flower when you're lonely. And then when you're not lonely anymore, you disappear. You know what that does to a daughter? Because daughters like to define the relationship. They want to know what's up. I'm defining, I want to define the relationship. You've taken me to coffee twice now, and I know you aren't madly in love with me, you're not proposing to me, but I would like to define the relationship. Why? Because original daughter's design, original design, daughter's heart, what? For safety and security and permanence and commitment. Now they think he's taking me to coffee. He's not taking Gertrude or Agnes or Sally May to coffee. He's taking me to coffee. Is he taking Agnes to coffee or Gertrude? Is he? No. He's taking you. And you are going to define the relationship. But if he's, if he's a butterfly boy, he's landed on the flower, 
had a coffee or two, and he's not lonely anymore, and he's disappeared. Right? Come on. I never learned how to take my emotional needs to God. That was the one thing I was missing. I was committed to God. I was running after God. But somehow this area of my psychosexuality, this, 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 this area of my life, there's just something, there's so many awesome young men. I've met them. They're young men. They're leaders. They have a heart for God. And there's just something here. We don't talk about this enough. And we don't have protocol. We don't have, we have this, we don't have the dating. Everybody knows the dating system's kind of broken, but some are still trying to sanctify dating. And then we got courting, which everybody thinks is this legalistic box that we hate. So we end up dorting. It's the blend of dating and courting. <laughs> Hi, are you dating her? No. Are you courting? No. Well, I'm dorting. I'm kind of dorting. It's a blend of dating and courting. I'm dorting. We dort here. <laughs> dorting. Dating and courting. Blended together. Dorting. And we don't know what we're doing. We're confused. And we're like, and so here I am. This is in the dark ages, but the principles apply, believe me. So I have this pattern, and I, here's the pattern. Here's what you do. You initiate out of loneliness. Which I did. Any Christian sister in a skirt will do. Because you like being around female. I don't want to be around the guys. It's Sunday night. I just want to feel like that female presence. I'm not even talking about sexuality. Come on. I'm not even talking about God forbid. It goes there. It goes there a lot. I'll tell you why in a minute. But it's just that. And if you got an alcoholic mom or a mom that was absent, it's especially intensified. The link to pornography is there. The link to female relationships that are important to you is there. When you've got a broken mother that never gave you a experience with a woman without sexuality. That's that imprint of a mom on a young man's life. Really important. Girlfriends were really important to me because my mom was an alcoholic. And the presence of that female, a female who is whole and nurturing and able to release nurture to you without the sexual component. That's what a mom does. That's what your sisters do. I had no sisters and an alcoholic mom. So the Friday night blues would hit hard. And any, really, any Christian sister in a skirt would do. I'm just, Marilyn for tennis. Great gal. Works in the ministry. Nice gal. When I call her up, I'm saying, Marilyn, I'm not calling Gertrude or Agnes. I'm calling you. She's thinking, oh, 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 I mean, oh, oh, oh. She's not thinking, well, he's going to propose to me tomorrow, but, but she is definitely a responder. The watering can has come toward her and has gone, water, water. And the flower is going, <laughs> talk to one daughter. She goes, I hate being a flower. I hate having that. I don't like the power the watering can has over me. <laughs> a little feminism there, I think. I'm not sure. You know, just a little, little, little bit of. She would stiff arm guys, man. The spiritual bloody noses everywhere. She just would. <laughs> well, she'd gotten she'd gotten a global distrust for young men in her life. When a daughter's been the the landing 
landing spot of a butterfly boy a number of different times. Two coffees, he disappears. Three coffees, disappears. One visit, disappear. A couple of texts, disappear. They start putting walls up. They begin to have a global distrust for young men. And then they can't be natural. They don't know how to... They don't... They begin to sabotage their own future by being putting walls up. And, and we don't want to do that in the kingdom of God. I've watched it. So Bob, my mentor, said, Jim, I've noticed you're, you, got a, you, got the sun, you got a case of the Sunday night blues. I go, well, you know, I don't know, Bob, just, you know. Goes, just here's what, here's what I want you to do. Just just do this, okay? Just give me a call next time you want to go see one of the gals. Oh, no problem, Bob. I'm a man of God. No, no problem. I'm a man of God. I'm a man of God. Bob, no problem. I can do it. I can do it. I'll give you a call. I'm, you know, disciple, kingdom of God, memorizing the verses, outreach. I can do it, Bob. Man of God, right here. No problem. Yeah, just... I'll give you a call. Yeah, thank, yeah. thanks for the talk. Thanks for the talk. So a month goes by and the Friday night blues hits me. Ugh! The Friday night blues. The Sunday night blues. And I'm thinking, i got to call Marilyn for tennis. Oh, i got to call Bob, though. <laughs> got to call Bob. Hi, Bob. Bob, it's Jim. Hey, Jim, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing pretty good, Bob. Pretty good. Yeah. How you feeling, Jim? I, I don't know. You know, just, I don't know. Just calling you. You told me to call. Well, how you feeling, though? I, you know, I'm just calling. You know, I mean, you know, ter- tennis, you know, Maryland. Just t- Friday night blues, Jim? Friday night blues? I, you know, I'm, I, I don't, you know, just... Tennis, tennis, just tennis in Maryland, you know, just tennis, you know. Any guys know how to play tennis that you know? Any guys that I know know how to play tennis? Yeah, yeah, got some guys that, yeah, yeah, give them a call. Give give the guys a call. I'm sure they'd be happy to play tennis with you. Is this, like, are you saying, like, No. Like, don't call Marilyn? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay, Bob. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, thank you very much. Yeah, mm-hmm, Bob, thank you. Bye, Bob, Bob. Cool. <laughs> this is the beginning and end of a stronghold in my life. Because of accountability and some revelation. I've watched young men in patterns like this. They never break out of this emotional thing. They have to have a, 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 they have to have something coming toward them, an ego boost, something. They've got to initiate and get that response back to feel something, to feel to feel something. Instead of take that loneliness to God, take that time to God, begin to take your emotional needs to God, to learn the lesson of singleness during the single years. You don't want to try to learn a lesson of singleness after you're married. I never learned a lesson of singleness until Bob got a hold of me. The lesson of singleness is this. There are some needs in my life that only God can meet, not even my future spouse that God gives me. 
We're back to a one whole person meets one whole person to make one whole person. The two shall become one. I'm not saying marriage doesn't meet needs. I'm talking about the, the needs that God highlights in you. And they'll probably be different for every person based on your background and your emotional needs and what's going on in your life. And God's going to fine-tune that, see? And you learn to take some of those needs that drive you and that compel you and make you, and have, you have to have something back from somebody. I mean, when I would initiate with young ladies, I'm a Christian leader. I would initiate with young ladies out of loneliness. Then I wouldn't be lonely anymore. And then I'm in a, I'm in a relationship with them. I've already had more than three coffees with them. So then I think, what do I do now? And plus, I'm starting to discover we're friends, but there's not the sense that God is saying this is a real relationship that's growing toward marriage. There's this haunting sense that there's not the connection that I really, anybody been there? And then you think, okay, now it's either get out of this and it's me, God, and my future. Me, I'm alone with me, God, and my future. Or I just stay in here and try to pray and fast and tell God to change her so I like her. Anybody fast on those? Dear Lord, please change her. Please, Lord, bless this relationship. Isn't that great? God always answers those prayers, man. He is so faithful. No! That's what he says. You pray and he says, no! So, a month goes by. Pick the phone up again. Friday night blues are hitting me. I got to call Bob. I look at the phone. I can hear the conversation. I know exactly what's going to happen. He's going to say those things. See, the sequence, I jumped, jumped off the sequence. You initiate. You get committed in some sort of relationship. You don't have the courage to face the facts and be alone again with your future in God. So you're in this thing trying to make it work. And because there's not the sense of growing social, uh, spiritual oneness and growing soul friendship, you introduce the physical because physical is instant closest with no rejection. Just good old, even good, plain old, good Christian making out. You know, here we go. Now we got closeness. Oh, now I feel close to Maryland or whoever. Wow. No, that's not good because then it gets worse and it's then the shame and the guilt and all roads lead to this. And every time you're together, everything leads to this because this is all you got, to be honest. This is all you got. You got a hormonal glandular relationship right there in front of you. And it can get more sexual and with more guilt. And then you grab the parachute Boots, put them on, you grab the ripcord, and you, and, the, and you bail out of the relationship. And the girl's thinking, what happened? What's up? And I'm feeling like a heel, and isn't this wonderful? The Christian life of relationships. Have I described it somewhat accurately? Anybody been there? Anybody been... Or being assaulted with a Friday night blues. So I talk to young people. I say, listen, let me describe some pattern, some relational stuff to you. 
I go, how many want, and these are you know, young people in the discipleship schools I teach or young adult meetings, and I say, how many want, how many want purity in your relationship? You're, really, you're a Christian, and you're committed to purity. You don't want to sin against God. You want to have purity. You want to honor God. Purity? Who, who wants purity? Anybody want purity? People say, yeah, purity, purity. It's one of the principles of the kingdom. And I say, how many want protection? How many would like their emotions protected? Besides purity, how many would, how many would like to not feel like the butterfly boy laying on you and you're starting to respond and then now you're hurt and you're wondering what the heck's going on? Or the girl doing the same thing with her power to attract that she hasn't brought her into the government of God? That's the other side of it. The girl can be a butterfly girl flitting around trying to fill up the empty places of her heart with the glances of a thousand men. I've been to Russia and I've met former Russian prostitutes who are pastor's wives who are the glory of God on their face in terms of purity is unbelievable. And I've been in young adult meetings in America with daughters who maybe never held the hand of a boy who are dripping with sensuality and a sexualized identity. And they are trying to fill up the empty places of their heart with the glances of a thousand men. And God wants purity and he wants protection how many how many for purity yep how about protection i mean we want protection we don't want to we have to understand when we talk about this principle of protection is that this the, the power of initiation toward a daughter is like the flesh what what happens when men see the flesh on a daughter's body that affects us doesn't it guys any any anybody affected by flesh any part, waist or legs or, you know, it's like it, it affects us. It's that affects us. Well, guys, we don't understand that the power of our interest in initiation affects girls in the same way. That's what we don't get. So the coffee date is powerful because you aren't t talking to Sylvia or Agnes. You're focusing on her. She's a designed to be a responder. She's made to respond to initiation. That's why for you to do that, to have your ego needs met, or just to kind of, because you aren't sure and you're just kind of. I think we need to think about that more and talk about it in terms of a principle. So you got purity, you got protection. How about communication? How many want to have a relationship based on real communication where you really talk about things and not just... My wife and I, we, we, we cooked up. We had 32 questions to give to couples who were uh, courting. Then we got, then we got, we found another one. We found 230 questions. I mean, like, what do you do on family vacations? What do you do about this? What do you do about conflict? Who are you closest to in your family and why? Who are you lot closest to and why? How do you relate to your dad? Mom, you know, what do you do this, this? I mean, all these things, just... I made Lee and Julie during their courtship. I, I said, I want you to, every time, they were writing letters, long distance, the courtship. Two questions in every letter. And Lee said, oh, this is so corny. It's so rich. It's so structured. It's so. Then at the end, he said, this was so cool. I feel like I know Julie better than a lot of people who've been married for five years know their spouse. We talked about everything under the sun. We, we talked about stuff we would have never talked about in a million years. It was so cool. And every time I got to know her and we talked more, I saw more of her heart and it confirmed more that God had put us together. Yeah. Communication will confirm or unconfirm that relationship. Yeah. 
That's why so many people don't really want to communicate. They want to get the hormones going and the glands, and you got instant closeness with no rejection. Instead of communication, that really confirms what's going on. So you got purity, protection, communication. How about honor? Honor and accountability. Honor is where you include people of the other generations in the process. Listen to this quote on courtship. This is what they said about it. It says, Throughout history, the mating of young adults has rarely, if ever, occurred in a vacuum. But instead, it has taken place in a thick nexus of social relations that included older adults who helped influence young people toward good marital choices. Yet today, it appears that most older adults, including moms, dads, even pastors, college administrators, social leaders who have, a- who have access to the young through education, media, health, family, and more seem largely to have withdrawn from this role. Uh-oh. Whether they realize or not, the decisions that, that they are making as adults and others make have a strong note to play strong role to play in shaping the campus culture and the young adult culture and helping to determine the environment in which young men and women meet and mate and perhaps consider marriage. It takes a lot of faith and humility to say as a young adult, one of my favorite things to say is you should have asked me 30 years ago when I knew everything. Because that's how you feel when you're 25 or 22 or 30. I go, you, somebody asked me a question. I go, you should have asked me 30 years ago when I knew everything, man. Because now I don't know hardly anything. What, what, a, what an amazing amount of humility for a young man and a young woman to, to say to mom and dad, pastors, youth pastors, mentors, we want you to be part of the process in our friendship, our developing friendship. It gives each person someone to talk to. To bounce, reflect. That mentor talks, the parents talk. How are you feeling? Talking to their daughter, talking. How are you feeling about the relationship? Well, I like this, I like this, I like this. There's one thing that's been bothering me. They talk about it. It's not just the girl and the guy and they make all their decisions. She's responsible to evaluate his motives, to define the level of the relationship, define how physical it is, define the boundaries, define that she does everything herself when she's designed to be a responder to initiation. Do you understand the power of a maternal spirit? How many, how many daughters have got connected to some guy she, because he needed her? And you've got a Christian heart as a daughter and a maternal spirit, so you've got passion, you've got mercy, you've got the maternal spirit that wants to mother somebody who needs you. And you go, and a lot, of, a lot of our Christian sisters have gone from trying to mother someone who needs them to being a mom in one false step. Or they get committed to someone because he starts coming to church. And five years later, she's bringing the kids to church, and he's home watching the sports on TV on Sunday morning. That's not what I want for one of my girls, I'm telling you. That's why we have others involved in the process. 
Just to, not to judge people. To, it's the difference between evaluation and judgment. Okay? Let's don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and get in this, in this sloppy agape kingdom of God stuff where we never say anything is wrong. We never evaluate. We need to be able to evaluate things and look at fruit without condemning. I hope somebody's, I hope my mentors are evaluating me regularly and saying, I want you to grow in this area. The greatest thing a young couple can do is submit their relationship to another mentor couple. It's called honor. The last principle I ask young people about, would you like your relationship to be a witness to your generation on how to do it right, to how to do it with purity, how to do it with protection, how do you do it with communication and honor and be a witness and declare the glory of God in your relationship where the start of your relationship glorifies God, your engagement glorifies God, your marriage glorifies God, your family glorifies God. It's the beginning of that ministry you have with that person your teammate for life. I think God wants to do, he wants to have some Holy Ghost weddings that are so pregnant with purity, protection, communication, honor, that it's just, it's like atomic blasts going off. And you invite, and all your cousins that have to come to that wedding, maybe you're having trouble witnessing to them, but they have to come to that wedding and they got to feel the presence of God in the purity. They got to feel the presence of God in that time. Those are the five elements of courtship I just went through. A lot of young people say, I don't want courtship. I, we've, we've failed you. Let me just repent to you as an older person. We are so, we're starved for romance in the church. And, when, and when, when courtship started being restored to the church 15 or 20 years ago, my generation started doing backflips thinking, we're finally, with some of these, we're going to do it right and we've got a tool. And we took that tool and we polished it up and we made it a one-size-fits-all little box that everybody fit into. Didn't, didn't we? How many would be honest when you say, I've been kind of like courtships, kind of, come on, right? It's a one-size-fits-all box. And we made everybody, it has to be the first kiss at the altar, and you can never be alone, ever. Those are the two tw- 11th and 12th commandments in courtship, right? Come on. Come on. And so, and we polished it up because we're so starved for relationships and romance. We just... So we polished it up and we forgot it was principles instead of we made it the, 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 this structure that could never be changed. One size fits all. No wonder you rejected it. But when you take the principles of purity and the principles of protection and the principle of communication, the principle of honor, the principle of witness and apply them to couples based on who they are in a relationship of love by people that love you. It changes it. And we're always quick to take principles and make this structure out of it. Principles birth structure. Not principle and structure married together so you can't change it. I mean, my daughter courted, never had held the hand of a boy, courted a young man who had a girlfriend, one girlfriend in seventh grade, Okay. And did I say you can never be alone? That's the courtship. I said, no. The principle is purity. And I know who you are. Yes, you can go get milk at the grocery store together during noon. It's okay. I trust you, Jesse. If you do anything to her anyway, I would kill you. So, 
Because I knew Allison's heart too. The principle is purity. The application of the principle is different for Jesse and Allison. How about the 30-year-olds that have untold members, numbers of, of sex partners who've gotten recently saved? And understand this area is very weak for them. Do you think it would be wise for them to spend a lot of alone time together? The principle of purity would be applied in a completely different way, wouldn't it? You see how it works? That's what we didn't do. So we, we, we lost the gift of God. And I believe God wants to restore that. Last thing I want to say, let me just say this. When you don't have protocol in a community, it, I, believe we, I believe the principles of courtship and talking about courtship can change relationships in a community. Because when you don't have protocol in a community... When a young brother is being nice to one of his sisters because he's just being a godly man, the temptation for that sister to think he likes me is strong. And she doesn't need, she shouldn't have to go through all the drama of because if a brother is nice to her, she thinks he likes me. Anybody with me on this? And he, then, then what he'll do is he'll sense that and he won't be nice to any of them. And, and then none of the sisters have the benefit of having brothers. Are you with me? I mean, this is what happens. And there's no protocol. Or if it just gets really, it's like, so the brothers want to be free to be brothers. The sisters want to be able to be free to be sisters. Protocol says this, that in a community we have connections to mentors and elders and if I'm interested in somebody, I'm going to go to my mentor and talk and have discussions about God's highlighting someone to me. One of the brothers says to his mentor, I'm, God's highlighting someone to me. And they talk about it. And then that mentor may go to her mentor or to her and say, listen, someone has come to me and has been praying and they're interested in starting a special friendship with you that may go toward marriage. Would you like to know who it is? She might say, there's some faith. No, I don't want to even know who it is because God's dealing with me right now and I'm seeking God and I'm waiting on God and I just, I just don't even want to know. Or she might say, yes, I'd like to know. And he tells her, and, and she knows in her heart already, I, in a million years, I just know my heart would never be open to him. She doesn't have to look some guy in the face who's a nice Christian brother and try to negotiate that. How many, how many daughters marry some guy because they don't, they don't want to say no to him and hurt his feelings. There are, there are ladies who have married young men. I'm dead serious. Because they don't want to hurt their feelings. That sounds crazy, but that has happened. When you have a mentor or fathers involved like that, guess what? The daughter is protected and the young man can't say, tell me why, what's up, come on. It's over. It's done. She's free to be free. She's free to still be nice. She doesn't have to deal with that because she's not designed to say no. She's designed to respond. And she's not designed, she's, it would change the dynamics, believe me. Or she might say, tell me, and she might say, it's a not now. I'm, I'm just, there's some things right now in my life, I'm just saying not now. Just tell him, it's not a not ever, but it's just a not now. Or she says, yeah. I'm very interested in starting a friendship, a special friendship that would lead toward the possibility of marriage. 
And that changes everything. Because then, if, if that way, every guy that's nice to the sisters, the sisters say to themselves, he's just being my brother because no one's knocked on my door. See how that works? See how that works? Guess what? Then I'm free to be a sister, a complete sister back to him. Because I know that he's not interested in me. If he was, he would have talked to his mentor and I, someone would be knocking on my door talking to me. This gives me great freedom to be, my, be a sister. And when they initiate with me, I can be right back in their face and fellowshipping and doing everything and being my normal self instead of having to kind of negotiate and, and be all weird and have all these weird things. And like, I don't want, I like him, but I don't want him to like me. And everything, protocol changes. And you take these principles of the kingdom of God and begin to apply them. You meet, you set boundaries, you talk about what your relationship is going to look like. You start with questions that are very personal, not too deep, but, you know, background, history, family. You meet with a mentor couple periodically, often. You, you create this relationship. And it's pretty organic. It's pretty normal. It's not crazy. It's not weird. I believe God wants to restore something like that to the kingdom of God. I believe God wants to heal some brothers of the butterfly, the Friday night blues, and heal some sisters of trying to fill the empty places of their heart with the glances of a thousand men. Maybe even heal some sisters of the identity theft where the devil has taken and sexualized part of their identity and they have not been able to get rid of that. It's been, gosh, I don't want this. I, but I need some help, Lord. I, I know I'm still struggling with that. I need your healing. I thought we could end tonight maybe with this some time to possibly pray for some people in some of those categories. Not to expose anyone, but just to create some movement in the direction of what I've been talking about. Does that make sense? Why don't we stand together? I don't know if there's anybody that's going to... Is there a music person floating around here? I always hate music people have to come up and play all the time because I thought, man, suppose this message was for one of the music people. Then they got to come up and play. I, it's tough. I'll just trust the Lord on this one, right? Amen. <laughs> Well, I hope tonight was encouraging. I'm not trying to be heavy-handed, but I'm telling you, I am. The, the war, the war, listen, the war against a generation in this area, this is where the devil is going after the generation. He's not unplugging the cell phone system. He's not shutting Facebook down to destroy America. He is going after what a man is, what a woman is, what sexuality is, what marriage is, what purity is, what a bride is, what children are, and what family looks like. And God wants to bring a healing spirit to us and alter some of our thinking and create some, release revelation into communities so we can really rejoice in the years of our singleness. I used to pray, God, put a switch in the back of my head so I can just switch this off until I meet the right one. He's saying, you don't get it. What you're going through is training you to be the best husband and father you can be. 
It's called suffering. It's called dealing with your desires. It's called taking your emotions to God. It's called walking in sexual purity. I got a scripture for you guys. It says a righteous man falls seven times. What's that about? An invitation to failure? No, it's a value statement that Jesus is worth getting up for no matter what you've done. A righteous man falls seven times. You say, God, I'm never going to do that again. I hate what I just did. I, I hate. And you mean it with all your heart. And you fall again. And you say it again with all your heart. And you mean it with all your heart. And those failures, the distance between them gets larger and larger as you grow in victory and revelation. And you walk in the knowledge that the only man on the face of the earth that's never failed in that area is Jesus. And every man like me or our old, little bit older brothers here with me, we have all failed. But our failures became farther and farther apart. And we, God releases seasons of victory to us. And, but you know what? I get up every time. If I could tell you how many times I got up and said, I hate what I just did. But I got up because you know what? That scripture says... A righteous man falls seven times. And it was a value statement that Jesus is worth getting up for no matter how much I fail, no matter how bad it was. I want to get up for Jesus every single time. Well, I was preaching, I was talking tonight to you, and you know I was talking to you. Maybe you're a daughter with some empty places in her heart. Maybe you've been trying to fill the empty places of your heart with the glances of a thousand men. Maybe you've sensed, for some reason, somehow, part of my identity got sexualized and it's been a battle. I want God to break that thing. I want God to break that thing. I don't want to stay in these cycles of relationship. Just want you to find your way up here. Come on. Just have the courage to find your way up here, man or woman. If you're a man, and you, any guys that have that, that the Friday night blues have been beating you up, the Sunday night blues. I believe, God, if he breaks this pattern in your life, you know what? I met my wife after a year of not dating anyone, not no initiation at all. And when I met Lisa, I called Bob up. I said, Bob, it's Jim. He hears the tone of my voice is different. This is a whole different deal. Bob, it's Jim. Jim, what's up? Bob, I met someone. Well, tell me. Can I take her to ice cream? He goes, absolutely. He could tell right away it was not about the Friday night blues. And that I had taken a year to take my emotional needs to God and dealing with that. And God dealing with me. Well, I've been hanging out with that gal for 34 years now. And eight kids. And we got frosting. But we baked the cake. We baked the cake. We got more. How are we doing with room? Just I want to make sure people, if you're coming for prayer, make sure you just come up here and crowd into the front so we know you're you're coming. If there's people in the, just gonna wait on the Lord. Just look to the Lord. Don't don't come to me. I'm not I'm not your answer, man. You know, the spirit of revelation. I believe God already did, is doing stuff. Already doing stuff in your heart through revelation. How many know that? I mean, you heard stuff. You think that's it, God? I'm I'm believing you're gonna break some things in my life. I believe you're gonna break some patterns in my life, God. thinking about the Lord speaking to me about daughters maybe you have a global distrust of young men because you've been landed on a few times the butterfly boys have landed on your on you and and your hope came and then disappeared and any 
there's some pain and some distrust that God wants to break tonight, I want you to find your way up to the front. The Lord just spoke that to me, so I don't know who that is. Maybe you're already up here, but that that's happened, and there's just a sense, I don't, I'm, I just don't like this. I don't want this to happen anymore. Appreciate your honesty, your openness to God. God's going to break things tonight. He's going to do some things tonight. He's doing. He's already doing things by revelation. How many sense the spirit of revelation came, and you you're you're already thinking different. You think, oh my gosh, that's it, that's it. I know that's it. I I, I heard it tonight. Throughout the whole audience, how many had a how many have cursed courtship just, you know, with your mouth? Just, I, I, that's so off. I hate that. I'm just going to go with kind of my own version of Christian dating. Kind of, I'm just going to, how many, how many have just had, how many were willing to just to kind of retract that in the spirit? Willing to retract that. Anybody that just has opposed that so kind of vehemently and said, no way, that's, I'm capable of just navigating this myself and, Anybody like that who kind of vowed that, said those things, I just want to, I want you to acknowledge that to the Lord and to yourself and open your heart for God to change that tonight. Just just raise your hand if that's you. You kind of cursed that system and, and I'm not saying it was perfect. We failed you. I'm, I'm asking you to forgive me tonight and forgive my generation for making that a tight little box instead of release principles to you that will help you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I think the last thing is just anyone that's struggling in relationship, uh, guilt, shame, guilt and shame from relationships, sexual sin. You're in a wrong relationship. You're in a relationship that you wanted to be pure and you're not pure. Things have gotten out of hand and you want to expose that to the light. I want you to have the courage to come up and just say, I, I got to get this dealt with. I mean, if you can't get it dealt with here, man, it's going to blow up in your face i promise you do not want shame as a base of your relationship you just can't afford it you can't god wants to be gentle with you but he wants to bring healing restoration so just come right now just come right now that's you any relationship any appreciate your courage i'm just really honored by the spirit of uh courage and opening your heart going to wait on the Lord if that's you the, the, if, if you're dealing with any kind of sexual sin or inappropriateness in your friendship in your relationship coming forward is the first step the second most important step is bringing it into the light with someone that loves you that's older and just saying hey we're failing here we're just I'm not saying because there's a physical aspect to your relationship that it's not God's will Sometimes it's the indication that it's not God's will because you're trusting in that instead of real communication. Sometimes there really is a relationship and there's just an area of self-control in, in that area that, that you need to really shore up. You need to pull back and ask God to help recreate the foundation of your relationship. You're going to have to discern God's will on that. If you've substituted communication and for that instant closeness because you're not compatible, you're not really growing in friendship and spiritual oneness, that's a lot of times why the physical starts. 
Okay, I mentioned a lot of areas. I want to try to pray for those. So I'm just going to ask you to raise your hands again as we're praying. How many guys? I'm just going to start with the guys. And how many guys are coming in that area? That kind of that cycle of pattern relationship that Friday night, that initiating relationships out of loneliness. You'd say that that kind of thinking. Initiating relationship. You saw yourself in that pattern. Just raise your hand. Initiating that Friday night blues thing, whatever. And you, can, you don't have to. If you're out there, you can raise your hand too. You don't have to be up front. Let's break. I just want to break that. In this, I just want to take authority in the spirit, Father, right now. And we, you guys can pray for your brothers, Father. Right now, we do pray. We pray for the community, God. We pray for this, these dear ones here, Lord. And God, I pray for an ability to learn the lesson of singleness, God. We're asking for you to come with a revelation of what we call the, the lesson of singleness. That there are some needs in my life that only God can meet. Not even my future spouse. And God, we are in this time right now. We don't want to curse our singleness. We want to say these are the best years. These are the greatest years. God, you can teach things. You can do things in me to prepare me to be the best husband and father in the future. So, Father, we're asking you tonight to break that pattern. Break that pattern of initiation out of loneliness. Initiation out of loneliness instead of initiating a relationship out of, a, out, of, out of a who that person is, out of an interest in that person, out of prayer and waiting on God and saying, God's highlighting someone to me. I'm going to wait until that time. I can relate to my sisters in the, in the fellowship. I can have friendships. We can have large group stuff. But I'm not going to initiate and focus on one person until you are, have highlighted them to me and help me learn the lesson of singleness, God. Break it right now, Lord. Break that thing right now. Break that pattern. Just raise your hand if that's you again. Over your head. Just like a cry to God. Like, say, God, I'm, 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 I'm saying to you, God, I'm reaching to you. I'm reaching to you and I'm saying, God, break that thing. Break that pattern, Lord. You don't hate. God doesn't hate you. He loves you. You're His Son. And He wants that pattern broken. He wants that pattern broken. He wants initiation of relationship to be out of the person. You want to honor that sister, not out of what she can give you, but out of who she is and the the fact that you think God might be leading you, highlighting her to you in a relationship. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I pray also for these young men that you give them a revelation of a daughter's heart. Those original design revelations of a daughter's heart that she was designed to be loved for who she is as a person. That she was designed for safety and security and permanence and commitment. That she's primarily relational and secondarily sexual. Through the covenant of marriage where she can be safe enough to open that part of her life to someone who's committed himself and pledged himself to her forever. God, give every brother in this room a revelation of a daughter's heart. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I want to pray for the daughter. How many of the daughters are, have come forward because of hurts you you feel like there's a distrust for young men we, we talked about that you can just raise your hand over your head i want to make sure i can see and, and it's like you just saying to the lord lord i'm here i want you to heal me i do not want to have these walls up i don't want to sabotage my future i don't want to have a global distrust for young men because of their initiation to me and my response and then they disappear and i get hurt Father, I pray right now, God, a healing spirit to every daughter, every daughter, God, who has experienced this, where they have not felt protected and 
Lord, I think they understand no one was trying to hurt them or wound them. There's been a lot of confusion. But God, you'd come and minister to their hearts right now. Come and minister to their hearts right now, God. And break that distrust. Break that distrust right now, God. Break that distrust, Father. That they could hope again in you and, and there would be a sense of ability to trust in their brothers. God, we ask for a healing spirit in their heart right now. Healing spirit, God. Just let that healing spirit come right now. Let that healing spirit come right now, Lord. Every wound, every wound. Just let the Lord do it. Every wound, God. Every wound right now. Let it go. Let it go. Let it out. Lord, we break disappointment right now. We break disappointment, God, right now. We break disappointment right now, God. We break disappointment right now. I'm just going to step through here on you. There's a couple of people I want to just right now. Break it, Lord. Break disappointment right now. Every disappointment, God. Let it go, honey. asking you to come right now. We want to we want to be sisters to our brothers. We don't want to close our hearts off. We don't want to we don't want to use all our spiritual energy to create walls of protection for ourselves, God. Hear the cry of your sister, your your daughters tonight, Lord. Hear the cry of your daughters. We ask for your healing spirit to come to them tonight, God. They want to trust you, Lord. They want to trust you. They want to be able to release the treasure in them to their brothers, the encouragement, the, what they are. And Lord, you know how much the brothers need their friendship in all purity and safety, God. You want those relationships to be safe without all the drama, without all the games, without all the stuff that goes on. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord, right now. Hear their cry, Lord. Hear their cry, Father. Hear their cry, Lord. Lord, I pray your grace to forgive. How many feel like the Lord wants you to forgive some brothers, any of you sisters? Can you just begin to release them? I feel like the grace of God's here. You can just release some of them. Are there some where there's just maybe a one person that's kind of wounded you? Maybe one person that, like, like I'm, I'm kind of sensing this one person thing. There's been a wound from one person. Anybody can acknowledge that? You can ask God. Is there one person? Father, right now, break that thing. Break the disappointment. Break the pain, Lord. Break the, the wound, Father, by your spirit. Do it, Lord, right now. Lord, we need you. We're desperate, God. We just don't want to. We need you to do something tonight, Lord. We need you to come. 
We need to reach into the deepest part of our spirit, Lord, every, to, to the wounded places of our hearts and the torn places. And the, Lord, we want you to come into the, the pla- in the hearts of every daughter in this room to the places that, that have never been put into words, those, those things that have happened that, that don't have words to describe them, Lord, that you can go there with your healing. You go there with your healing spirit and touch those places of their heart tonight. Do it, Holy Spirit. Do it. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Jesus, do it, Lord. Ask every eye to be closed here. How many are coming for purity issues? Every eye is closed. Just raise your hand. Dealing with purity issues, sexual purity issues, and any shame from violating God's standard of purity. You've come up for that reason. and Just raise your hand. I'm going to break the spirit of shame tonight. Shame, shame will turn a son or a daughter into a slave right in the middle of the church. And God didn't come for slaves. He came for sons and daughters. And so we're just going to ask God to break the spirit of shame. Shame separates you from God. It separates you from other people. And it separates you from a realistic, really true understanding of yourself. So how many are dealing with shame from sexual sin, impurity of any kind? Just raise your hand and keep it up. Because when you raise your hand, you're saying, God, I'm, I'm desperate. I want you to move. I want you to move. I want you to break that thing in my life right now. Father, I take authority over the spirit of shame right now that lies to sons and daughters. It disqualifies them. It says this is who you are. It, puts, it wants to put daughters into a place in the kingdom called the wilted flower section where they feel like they can never take their place, never function in the kingdom of God. And they're relegated to kind of this place in the back row. And that intimacy with you is broken, God. That closeness of a daughter to a father is broken because of shame. And we're asking you to break the power of that tonight, Lord, right now. And I just take authority tonight, Lord. I say spirit of shame right now. Spirit of shame. Spirit of shame. Spirit of shame. Go right now. Go right now. Go right now. Break off right now. Break off right now. Shame, you're not going to lie anymore. To sons and daughters about how God sees them. Break off. Shame, break off. Break off now. Break off now. spirit of purity to be restored to your generation 
that we would be marked by power and purity, that we wouldn't be guilty of a, some religious experience without the mark of purity. God, I pray you would heal a generation and equip us to go forth in evangelism to a generation that's worshiping the sex God and you would release us to go forth in evangelism. Lord, we repent. We repent tonight, Lord. I really want to encourage you for those that are coming forward. I know you probably are doing this, but if you're coming forward in this area, I want you to I want you to open your heart to mentors or whoever's working with you. You know what I'm talking about? Is there somebody that's older or encouraging you? Because repentance always starts at the altar, but it's always completed by that next step of talking to someone who will, who will, who will deal with this. Otherwise, it just stays with you and you take off and nothing really changes. You have an emotional moment at an altar. God doesn't want you to have an emotional moment at an altar. He wants you to have a conviction that carries you to the next morning or that evening where you make a phone call and say, God's dealing with me. And I want the freedom God promises. And I want to experience the grace He promises. And I want the restoration He promises. And you do that for yourself and your own destiny. And you do that for your generation and for your nation. It's not just personal anymore. This is a nation under the judgment of God because of worshiping the sex God and the blood of 55 million children through abortion. I mean, we, we are in trouble. So every time you turn your heart to God in this area, you are, you are dealing with the very thing that's taken our nation down. Father, our last prayer is that you would give wisdom to the leadership of this community to create protocol. We ask for a beautiful blueprint from heaven that you would ordain, Lord, knowing the precious sons and daughters that are part of this community, that you would know exactly what's needed and how it can be implemented and how people can be blessed and encouraged, Lord. We want freedom for every son and every daughter, every sister and every brother in their relationships so all the weird stuff doesn't have to happen where there's freedom to be a brother and freedom to be a sister and freedom to share and communicate and talk without thinking, oh, he likes me or I like her or this and that. That, God, you would change all that and release a a hilarious supernatural freedom that allows real people to be no real people, that allows healing to take place, allows wounds to be healed, allows special friendships to form in the nucleus of future families to come forth, Lord, that will glorify you, God. That's what we're asking for tonight. Thank you, Lord. Well, we're going to be together, I don't know if everybody, but we're going to be Tuesday night. in the school, the Harvest School. We'll be at the service tomorrow morning.
especially Tuesday night, it might be a good night to bring somebody who's been in a long-term relationship with some guy and they've just broken up or somebody you work with that's a little bit open to the kingdom of God or you've had talks. Because we'll be specifically talking about this kind of stuff on Tuesday night. And uh, we're going to be releasing healing again. and So we'll see what the Lord will do, okay? Appreciate you guys. I don't know who to turn this over to. Who do I turn this over to? Nobody. Becca, I don't know who that is. For anyone who would like some more prayer, we'll ask the prayer ministry chain to come up. And you guys can just hang out with fellowship upstairs, look at the resources and the books. They're upstairs on the table. So, yeah, bless you guys. Thanks for coming, and come the next, come tomorrow morning, or come again on Tuesday night.